Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. Okay, so welcome everybody. Uh, Happy to have you here. My name is Diana Graber. I'm the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. I'm here today, I think below me somewhere, with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, with Rick Andrioli, who's the editor-in-chief of Parentology, and Arias Collins, who's the community manager manager at CyberWise. She'll be managing our chat box today, so please, as we move along, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat box, and we'll try to stop. She'll interrupt us so we can try to answer them. Um, All right, so this is a difficult topic today. We normally try to have fun on these and jest a lot, but it's going to be hard to do that today because this is an important, uh, yet a question that we get asked about a lot. Uh, We're going to be talking about children and online pornography. Um, So I'm going to start today with some statistics. Um, I got this information uh, from a wonderful nonprofit called Culture Reframed. Um, They tackle online porn related topics. So Here's some info I gleaned from their website. Um, In the absence of a comprehensive, competent sex education, pornography serves as the major form of sex ed for millions of kids. Many kids' first encounter with porn are accidental. Um, I think we've we've all heard that, right? Widely available for free online, whether via Snapchat or Instagram or by entering innocent searches, porn is the public health crisis of the digital age. Quotes, by the way. Extensive research has shown that porn undermines the social, emotional, cognitive, and physical health of individuals, families, and communities. These studies also demonstrate that porn shapes how we think about gender, sexuality, relationships, intimacy, sexual violence, and gender equality. So a couple of data points here. Um, a third of young people have seen porn by age 12. Uh, porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. About a third of all web downloads in the U.S. are porn-related. Pornhub, self-described as the world's leading free porn site, received 42 billion visits in 2019. Curious what that number would be during the pandemic. And then finally, 50% of parents underestimate how much porn their teens have seen. So, you know, as usual, scary data. So we're going to kind of bring it down and, and really remind you, don't freak out. This is today's Playboy magazine under the bed. Little, little more content than our kids were used to that back then. But still, don't freak out. Pam, bring us back down to earth. <laughs> well, you know, first I want to just acknowledge that those numbers are, are real, truly frightening. But what I want parents and, and caretakers and, and everyone to understand is that, is that most of that research is talking about addiction, not stumbling across pornography, not experimenting with, um, you know, some curiosity. It's really about regular users. And most of it is correlational, which just means they don't really know what causes what. All that being said, porn is not a good thing, right? And it's not a good thing for some 
really simple reasons that are easy to understand without the statistics. One is that porn is stimulating, right? It's sexually stimulating for some, not necessarily for everyone, but when your body is stimulated, when your brain is stimulated, it triggers dopamine. That's a reward center. We get that from chocolate too. So it isn't just porn, but just know that there is a physiological reaction that can make something seem more important and more memorable. So you just need to know that there is a biological response to that kind of thing. Um, and we, we need to know that so that we can take steps to prepare our kids so that they're not taken advantage of by that. Most of the data, as I said, are compulsive users. They showed up to take that study because they identify as that. Nevertheless, remember that porn is giving your kids an idea of what it's like to be in a relationship. Right. Porn is fiction. Yeah. It's just scripted television. Right. But an interesting thing that I heard is like, you know, when kids stumble across it, that's an image you can't undo. So kind of brings us to our next quest, next question. And I know, uh, Rick, on parentology, you have covered this a lot. By the way, have to bring this up. Rick has been banned from parentology because of <laughs> no, from Facebook. Facebook. I mean, I'm sorry, banned <laughs> from Facebook. And Arius has been banned for, from Instagram for posting too much information about this topic. So, <laughs> Yeah, so we, we post uh, the articles related to what we're talking about today onto the Parentology home site, or a homepage, and it goes straight to right, Facebook. And so about half hour. <laughs> and half hour before this meeting, I got a notification that uh, I was banned from posting for three days because I was posting things that went against Facebook's um, uh, community standards. You know, uh, and the thing is, is that that's where their algorithm is looking for keywords or key image things, and it does an automatic thing, an automatic block. In some cases, you can appeal it for whatever reason I was not. So um, I don't know what that's about. Um, but none of that material, as we know, is 100% accurate, you know. Um, and in some cases, like, like it comes down to... Uh, because social media companies don't want to be the censors. They want the public to block these things. And they consider uh, when you go to an adult site, you get a pop-up that says, are you 18 and over? And if you say yes, they consider that fine, that that's enough to block a kid. So there's really a low barrier to entry yeah. when it comes to kids accessing this material. Yeah. I, I have such yeah, a it's, and it's I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pamela. No, no, I was just going to say it's very hard to balance what you're talking about, which is important, establishing ages and making things uniformly and inclusively accessible. Because if, for example, you ask for a credit card, which is a way a lot of sites determine if you're 18 over, not all people have credit cards, right? Okay. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's, in, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not saying that it's good or bad. It's just there's a lot of very gray areas in trying to establish standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have such a problem with this because, you know, social media companies, they're doing pretty good financially. They have a lot of eyeballs. And we know there are ways that they could do a better job of verifying age. This drives me absolutely nuts. And, of course, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure kids are whatever age they're supposed to be before they use these sites. But kids lie about their age. And I just, I think a great example of this, and actually I learned this from parentology, is OnlyFans, which my daughter's told me about, which is a site that you have to be 18 and older, and people can go on there and you can show body parts and get paid for it, evidently. 
but they do a really remarkable job of verifying age. And I, and I took this directly from parentology. All new users have to provide their full name, address, date of birth, government issued ID, selfie photo holding the ID, country, the ID wow. selfie photo of the person holding the ID are sent to two third party age verification providers via API call. They're reviewed and a verification denial or request for more information is returned. So we can do this. You know, we just that's, that's really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I got to give them kudos for that. So I don't know, just there are ways to protect children's eyeballs that I think social media companies don't really take advantage of. But the best protection a parent can do is prepare them. Right. Right. And, you know, what we when we got together to talk about this topic, we talked about how we feel like we're sort of repetitive, you know, talk to your kids, talk mm -hmm. often, talk early so that you have trust. Right. So that they'll come to you. This mm -hmm. is one of those cases where you can't wait for them to come to you. You have to make them aware mm -hmm. that stuff is out there so that they are prepared because nobody likes to talk about porn, especially kids when they feel like they've done something wrong. Right. And, and I, I think um, we have to remember that the tech talk and the sex talk should be intertwined because the minute you hand a kid a device that can peruse the Internet or whatever, there's a chance they're going to stumble across this. And it could be just completely like innocent or just because I can't right. do something in class. Like there's so many anecdotes of, you know, middle schoolers going to the bathroom because at lunchtime to share pictures that they someone stumbled across on the Internet. I mean, it's just kids are curious and this is what they're going to do. So I think it's up to the parent to bring up a topic and explain all the reasons why to avoid this kind of content. So uh, how early is too early? Rick, you want to hit that one? Uh, well, it depends. So, so the thing that we're always hearing from the experts that we interview is that there are ways to have age appropriate conversations. And that goes with uh, inappropriate sexual conduct with a, with a child, you know, using adult terms for things, not using fun names, you know, and just as parents should have talks with kids about what's appropriate to share with strangers and what not to share with strangers, they can also, I don't know, I, I'd love Pam to weigh in on this too, but how much can we bring in uh, adult material online as the same, as, as a similar segue, like while we're talking about one, can we bring up the other? You know, I, I mean, I think you make such a great point about there, there's really this really needs to be in the technology conversation, but it also needs to be part of the sex education conversation. And I know this is a particularly difficult one for parents, but never has it been more important. Kids have less information, but more exposure. So they it's very easy for them to get the wrong ideas. And I totally agree with you, Rick, that you really need to give kids the right anatomical names. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. You know, you have an arm, you have an ankle, right? They need to know what it is because they need to not only be able to ask for help if they're injured, right, which is important, but they need to start understanding they have boundaries and rights. Even little kids, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they need to be told that their body belongs to them. And there are certain things that are not okay. And so when you do that early, you're establishing an internal standard where they say, hey, this doesn't feel right, right? And they, they, they're they okay for having that feeling and owning it. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Sorry, Pam, or oh, Diana. Um, when, when I was, before I was at this company, we got a lot of um, emails at one point. 
Did Rick go? Did he go? Uh, he's frozen for me. He's frozen for me too. Perhaps he's also been blocked from Zoom. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Rick, you'll have to come back to us because you froze up on us. So we'll keep rolling here and hope, hopefully Rick can get back. But um, it's interesting. Earlier, panel, we were talking about this whole dopamine thing and how kids get hit of dopamine when they see things like this, and, and that's something that we hit pretty hard in cyber civics. We explain what that is. And we explained how social media companies and, you know, a lot of places online will exploit us humans, you know, our vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. and, and that makes us want more and come back for more. And, you know, it's real powerful to teach kids that, especially kids when they're teens, because teens hate, teens hate to be manipulated. They hate to be used. They hate to think they're being tricked. And that's a super powerful way to help kids understand that, you know, be really judicious about what you're doing online or what you're deciding to do. Your time is valuable. And is this really what, or how you want to spend your time? And I don't know, there's just so many ways that education could nip things like this in the bud. Yeah. And I know parents worry about if I bring this to their attention, they'll go look for it. Or if, you know, if I teach people about sex, they'll go have it. And the evidence is exactly the opposite. Exactly. The more kids know, the more they're armed for better judgment and safer behaviors. And so you can really segue all kinds of really important things into this progression as they age mm -hmm. from, you know, early boundary discussions to, you know, stranger danger, just because someone talks to you on a chat room repeatedly doesn't mean you know them, right, which is how predators like to engage kids. And so you really have to bring that forward and help kids, as you say, understand that porn is Entertainment designed to manipulate you. It is designed to get your attention and keep you coming back. Are you know, and are you willing to be that guy's sucker? Right. And I know that when we teach, we actually touch on the topic of porn when we teach sexting in the cyber civics curriculum. And um, it was funny because two years ago when I gave the kids a survey at the end of the year saying which lessons were most valuable to you, 90% of the kids said the porn lesson. And I thought that was interesting that they wow. remembered it as the porn lesson rather than the sexting lesson. And I think that's because the overarching message that we try to get across is when you sext, you're essentially keeping pornography on your phone, which is crime in most states. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and also such a great opportunity to start with sexting and work into porn. You know, what is... What is sexting? Where's right. the boundary? You know, what right. to find out what a kid believes about what's okay and not okay and you know where that boundary is. Welcome back, Rick. Oh, thank you. We I'm were having joking the day, you guys. We were wondering if Zoom blocked you too. Yeah, we figured <laughs> for the things I've said, you know, it's it's possible. Oh, well, it's nice to have you back. Um, thank you. So we were Sorry just crossing that. over into the topic of sexting and how sexting is essentially having pornography on your phone. So I'd like to talk about that for a minute because I think. It's such a weird world for kids right now because they go online, they see these provocative images, celebrities, you know, pretty much naked. It's totally fine. No big deal. The minute a kid does the same thing, even in, in a committed relationship, all of a sudden it's a serious, terrible problem. It's just a complex world for those kids to figure out where the boundaries are and what's okay and not okay. So uh, sexting is another topic you guys have covered quite a bit, Rick. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there, there's a lot of legal concerns that parents need to definitely be aware of um, because so parents, technically you own that phone, right? If the child is a minor. So if there is, if there are inappropriate images of a minor on that phone, that is technically the possession of child pornography. And even, I mean, 
it depends on what state you're in and what could go on, but that could be a really big problem for that. So, so how we deal with um, reporting uh, sexting is different than how you would deal with um, cyberbullying or something along those lines. Right, and Aries, I see a couple questions related to that on the chat. Yeah, so, um, sorry, I was typing, but um, what, what, would, what was it, Rick, that you were just saying? Just to, that you have to deal with sexting imagery on a phone differently than it, uh, than you deal with cyberbullying. You right. know, if you have cyberbullying yes. in a text, you save that, right? Yeah. You take screenshots, you use that to report it. Right. And then but the you, sex, you have to, yeah, delete it immediately. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's okay. A, so that's a super important point. And I want to really underscore that for parents because it is so different. Yeah. Cyberbullying, which is online harassment. Uh, we tell kids take a screenshot of the evidence so that you can share it with a parent, teacher, or send it to the network where it happens. Sexting, terrible advice. You do not take a screenshot of pornography to keep it on your phone. Do not show it to a teacher because it could get the teacher into a lot of trouble. Uh, what we tell our students is get rid of the photo, but then talk to a trusted adult about it. So I really want to underscore that. And I do see a question here to define terms. Did you see that one, Arius? Yeah, I did. There's also an, another another one. Does that mean a parent can be charged with having child pornography if their 16-year-old child is sexting on one of their devices? Yes. So that was a question yes. that came through too. Absolutely. In some states. In yes, some states. Yeah. Every state is a little bit different. None, no state is, is okay with child pornography. But in some cases, you will be charged with a felony offense or your child, if they own the phone, will be charged with a felony offense. That will go on their record. That really uh, shows up when you're trying to apply to college or you're trying to vote or you're trying to get a driver's license or a job. I mean, it, really long-term serious consequences. Yeah, and most, uh -huh. most schools yes. will immediately suspend children who are involved in such an incident. And I, I want to define this term Sexting is the transmission of nude, semi-nude, or sexually explicit material. That includes emojis, by the way. Um, across digital channels, it's a serious matter. Um, the term is often used to describe incidents where teenagers take nude or partially nude pictures of themselves and share those images with others. Um, and I want to say sexting is, is just as serious whether you are the sender or the receiver. In a lot of instances, kids didn't even ask for it. They're sent these images, and all of a sudden, they have pornography on their phone. So that that's really different from just pornography, which I think we all know what that is. And then there's another term we were gonna talk about that's closely related, which is revenge porn. So who wants to take that one? <laughs> um, so, oh, okay, I guess I could jump in. We have, a, we have an article on this for that. So the term revenge porn, it, it's somewhat misleading. Many perpetrators aren't necessarily motivated by revenge. Like for example, uh, if, I get a girl's photo and I'm showing it off to my friends. Like here's a topless picture of her. Uh, that's not necessarily me trying to get revenge, but it's called that, you know, that's me just showing off new photos. Um, a more accurate term is non-consensual pornography. Uh, but nevertheless, it can, it can turn into revenge if uh, there's a breakup and one is angry with the other person and they start sharing off those pictures. Right. One thing I want to, Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. I was just to say, I wanted to add is that we have a tendency culturally of blaming the victim, right? So if you're, you know, 
you've sent your boyfriend a picture and you think that's okay and somehow this all goes south, you're going to be blamed yeah. for inappropriate behavior, not the boyfriend for showing it to his friends in the bathroom. Yeah. So just be aware that there is that tendency. I, there are lots of stories about people who have been victimized in this way and they go to report it and they end up in legal trouble mm -hmm. from reporting their activities. So just yeah. be aware of that tendency. Yeah, I have an anecdote about that. Actually, I wrote about it in my book, but um, Peter Kelly, who's our uh, outreach director at Cyber Civics, he used to be a high school English teacher before he started working with us. And he told me the story that to this day makes me so sad, but there was a high school uh, cheerleader that was in a relationship with some kid at the school. They broke up. He started sharing her pictures around, inappropriate pictures. She was dropped from the cheerleading squad and pretty much ostracized from a lot of groups at school. So it's, it's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Now that she mm -hmm. paid the price, pretty heavy price. Right. Um, yeah, and from peers who, who yeah. if you had a conversation with them independently, they would say, oh, sexting, everybody does it. They would say there's nothing wrong with it until it happens. They call that slut shaming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like cyberbullying with a different name. And so that's where kids can also take action to influence each other, stand up for each other, and, you know, establish the boundaries of what's okay and not okay when other people are putting them at risk, asking for certain behaviors. Exactly. And I see someone's asking here about the kids are posting nude pictures and making significant amounts of money. I think that you're talking about what we mentioned earlier, that site where you're supposed to be 18, it's called OnlyFans. Evidently it's very popular. And it's not just people going on there making money for naked images, but people make money for lessons they're doing, for music they make. So the intent wasn't that it would be a porn site, but it's being used for that, evidently. Well, parents should know a lot of sites get used for that. Um, there have been porn hubs found on Minecraft. Uh, Roblox did an initial to investors, and partly they had to disclose their vulnerabilities to child predators as part of their business model because they're a largely child uh experience oh, internet uh, gaming site and there are you know there are porn mods in it it just brought me back to when my kids were little uh penguin what was the penguin thing you guys remember that uh, club penguin Club penguin and the penguins were having sex <laughs> like what are the penguins doing <laughs> well, so things haven't changed very much um all right. How are we doing on questions there, Arias? We're doing good. There's one question that's really, um, it's more just she was sharing her experience, but um, she really started early talking to her son about, and she used all the right body parts and, you know, talking about all of this, but she still recently found him on Pornhub. And so, you know, and I know that probably relates back to our, you know, sex education and the underlying curiosity and all of that, um, and all the dopamine hits. But is if there's any like practical ways or an argument to discuss why that's not the best use of their time or you know in their best interest, I think would be really helpful for her. Yeah. Well, um, you, you know what 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 I would suggest to her is to have a conversation with, first of all, start with like what he enjoways about it, right? And I mean, I know that's gonna be difficult and you'll get a lot of eye rolling, 
But what's really important for the child to understand is what he's learning there is what he's going to affect his expectations about his own relationships. And the evidence suggests that people who invest too much in pornography as the standard for a normal relationship have very poor relationships. They have very little sexual satisfaction, which I know you're not worried about with a teen, but they also don't have good role models of how to treat people with respect. They don't have a good role model of how to be sort of a respectful person. And they end up very unsatisfied, both interrelationally and sexually. So there's lots of evidence that says that that's not the right way to sort of build your database of what it's like to be a um, a relatable person. Right. And, and, and in relation to that, the research supports exactly what you're saying. There's abundant research showing that boys exposed to porn from a young age have attitudes that support sexual harassment and violence against women, um, demonstrate decreased academic performance, have decreased empathy for rape, rape victims, have increasingly aggressive behavioral tendencies, pressure their partners to engage in porn style sex, including harmful, painful, degrading and aggressive sex. So, you know, that's, that would be the discussion points, maybe not that graphic, but that it's just not setting you up for a realistic expectation of of what a relationship would be like. And I would suggest to that mom to find out what the kid values, not of the porn, but just sort of in life. Because if I say, oh, well, you know, all that dopamine hypersensitivity, right, you're going to end up depressed and anxious. So they're going to go like, who cares? That's somebody else. So if you can bring it home to something they really care about, do you really want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Do you really want to have, you know, X, Y, and Z? Because you are jeopardizing that with this behavior. And so those kinds of things where you can make an issue very personal. I mean, Diana, you have been brilliant about that in CyberWise, um, the, the the lessons that you teach because you've made everything very personal and tangible for the kids. And so that's where I would be trying to go with this. Yeah. And really the advantage of teaching this in the classroom, whether it's cyber civics or whatever digital literacy curriculum that you teach, you know, these topics come up because you're creating a space in the classroom for peers to talk about the things they're dealing with online. And when you can talk about this with peer groups and have discussions and talk about consequences and they come to common agreements and norms that they take online in places we're not going to know what's going on, that's the only way we can get our arms around these issues. We cannot wait for the social media companies. We cannot wait for anything else to happen other than hopefully schools find time to address technology education. Mm -hmm. It also tags a little bit, Diana, into... Uh, the need for talking to boys about sexting. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's like with safer sex, it's always the onus is always put on the girl or the woman, Like you've got to bring the protection you've got to do. But the boys also are part of the story to be addressed. And a lot of times parents don't, they tend to only talk to the girl about it. Right. Um, And also like, you know, what we talk about with the kids in the classroom is like what to do if you're asked for one, what to do if someone sends you one. I mean, there's so many scenarios that can happen, you know, what to do if you hear that somebody else's picture is being shared, what to do with, you know, on and on. But to role play I also found it interesting, like a quarter of sex gets shared with other people. So like just knowing that information as a child, that'd be terrifying. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? I know, because you know, yeah. the tendency would be like if you're in your first relationship and you trust the person, you think it's never gonna go anywhere. And 
that's the thing you understand oh, again and again, again in our lessons is like everything online stays online forever, period. You know? yeah. So, uh, yeah. well, and, and I think most, if you ask most kids, if they thought pornography was good or bad, they would say bad. That doesn't mean they don't find it exciting or they're curious about it, but they would tell you that it was societally bad. If you ask them to define pornography in simple terms and then ask them to define sexting in simple terms, they will see that there is really no difference between sexting and pornography, you know, except that it's occurring, you know, on your phone, you know, of people, you know, but so if, if parents can help kids see the risk and, you know, and people say, well, it's never going to happen to me. You know, I'm in love. He's never going to, you know, share my picture. Then I would say, okay, fine. But I want you to have a plan for just in case, because everybody needs a plan for just in case. What would happen? How would you deal with that? And what does that look like for you? Are you willing to bear the risk? Right. And also look up the laws in your state, you know, tell your child. Oh, yeah. These are the laws. I know in California, there was some law passed just two years ago that it's you know, mandatory expulsion or suspension from school. So you know, that's pretty heavy. So I think kids need to look it up. You can go on a lot of different sites. Um, on, a, on their CyberWise website in our sexting hub, we give you a link you can go to to see what the laws are in your state. And again, all of these resources, um, this video will be posted um, on our CyberWise site tomorrow with a lot of the resources that we're mentioning today. So uh, check in if we're going too fast on anything. Um, and Rick, I have a question for you. Um, okay. Rental controls, do they work? <laughs> do they work? No, they don't. Um, I mean, listen, they, they can work, but especially with something like adult content, you can't block every site. You can, you know, we're talking about Pornhub a lot, but all a young person has to do is Google the terms that they're looking for and a different site will show up. And also if kids, we we've talked about this before, if kids want to get somewhere online, they will be able to disable your parental controls quicker than you can install it. So that's why, you know, and, and I don't want to say anything bad about parental control companies because they keep our lights on a lot of times and they have a lot of good resources, but as a whole, kids are very savvy and know how to get around that. Yeah. And it gives parents a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't teach critical thinking for the child. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and or regular self-regulation, but it also c- communicates a lack of trust. So if you are expected to behave badly, generally speaking, you do, right? So y- you have to be very careful um, with those kinds of controls. It's like holding a balloon underwater. It will pop up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think also, you know, we have to look at ages and stages here, because if you're going to give a connected device to a very young child, absolutely put parental controls on it. That child does not have abstract ethical thinking in place at all until 12 or 13 years of age. And then as they get older, I would say near those teen years, I agree. I've ne- I have yet to met a teen who can't disable parental controls. You should time them and see how long it takes. But um, it's like training wheels, you know, maybe start with the younger ones and they get older. You're going to have to have those discussions and some trust. And that's a great point, Diana, because kids are getting phones younger and younger. I mean, it's, you know, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds are out on the playground playing games. I mean, it's harmless stuff, but they do have them and that gives them access. I mean, it's a portal to everything. Yeah. And the other, I, I saw some of the chats talking about uh, some of the things that do work. One of the challenges you also do run into is sites that the filtering company has decided are adult and are not necessarily. 
So it, that goes with the politics of the owners of that company. So there might be things that um, you're not seeing or, you know, like sexual health information that literally, that legitimately somebody could be looking up, right? But then they get blocked because it, it has the word penis too much on a page. And so it's blocked, you know? So there's a there's two sides to to these blocking apps as well. Right. So Aries, I'm seeing some questions on there. Did you filter through them? Yeah, there's so many good ones here. Um, and I know we don't have a ton of time, but I, I want to share. Um, there were two that were really good. What age should the first porn conversations take place um, was one. And then also, I love this one. Um, if there's any resources, especially for boys, on how to be an ally, um, because whoever commented with this um, would love to know that so that they would get some support because what he or she has found is like, they're always like cheering each other on to share an image um, or go and even watch porn together, whatever it is um, to be more of an ally. Yeah. I can the, answer the that one. Um, there's a terrific site that I referenced at the top culture reframed. I think it's culturereframed.com. They have dot a org, I think. They have a parents course on online pornography that's free. Their resources are stellar. Um, I would really encourage you to go there and, and download their parental uh, materials. Um, in addition to that, as I said, tomorrow on our Cyberwise chat page on Cyberwise, we will list all of these links and resources for you. So do check in. And I, I saw a question here. Did we answer the first question, Arias? Just the age to start having these conversations about porn specifically. I would say that when you want to start talking about porn is when your child has the ability to navigate, you know, around the internet. So what is that eight, nine, 10? And I wouldn't be explicit about it, but I would want to make them aware that, you know, that you, they could stumble across something. What is pornography? Define it very simply. Pornography is pictures of people without their clothes on, right? In other words, make it very, you know, user-friendly for that age and then check back in. Just like the tech talk, this is not a conversation that's one and done. You know, as kids mature, they have different interests, different curiosity. Young kids might be ashamed and guilty and afraid. 12-year-olds might think it was kind of exciting and not understand the negative implications of going back. So you need to keep having these conversations and keeping it open. Nothing is promotes pornography more than not talking about it. Right. I saw a question here too for you, Pam. What are your thoughts on what's being called ethical pornography that's being used to help educate unhealthy human sexuality? Are you familiar with that? I, yeah, I am. And, you know, it's not widely distributed. But if it's truly ethical, it's in the confines of a therapist's office. Now, you know, I'm not familiar enough with sex therapy to know whether or not that's having good results, but you will not see that stuff if it is in fact ethically used outside of that context. Yeah. And I, I'm familiar with the curriculum, the ethical uh, pornography curriculum. And I just wonder how many schools would actually allow that. curriculum to be. I mean, we can't even get critical race theory in schools. How are you going to get ethical pornography? I mean, come on. So I think the best we can hope at the moment is to embed it in digital literacy curriculum. Um, yeah. and get the kids this information younger than high school. Yeah, and empower them to be thinking and critically thinking adults, not, you know, 
that's so much more important. I mean, media literacy to me is the foundation of all this stuff mm-hmm. because all of this stuff happens within that context. So if you have a kid that is been thinking about what does it mean to be private? What does it mean to be all of these different things throughout their use of technology? Then they're going to be a much better consumer of, of everything that comes their way. And we're the eyeballs, you know, we're the money. So what consumers want or what it's going to be provided to us. And I think that we have to really underscore that exchange when we're teaching kids about being a digital citizen. All right. I think it's time for our top top takeaways, which tend to be very similar every time. But uh, I'm going to start with you, Rick. What are your top takeaways? Uh, Recommendations for parents, I guess I should say. Recommendations. Um, To... So, so I, uh, to talk to both boys and girls about it, that it's not just a one-sided thing. Um, the, the second one, which is, uh, the laws that you brought up can kind of bring a reality check to sexting and porn in general, I guess, but sexting in to somebody's world, right? Do you want to impact your life long-term and what does that mean long-term? Uh, Pam brought it up here, you know, it could hurt you voting, it can hurt you getting a job, going into college, you know, whatever that might be. Uh, And the third thing is don't rely entirely on um, uh, parental controls, you know, have them. And and, and one thing I think I left off when we talked about them earlier, they can give you the parent insight into what the child is doing. So that could be useful as a jumping off point for conversation. Uh, But that's part, but that don't rely on them as your savior you know, in the way that some parents rely on sex ed in schools as the savior to educate their kids on all things sex related. Right. And Pam, what would be your recommendations? Well, I mean, I agree with everything, with everything Rick said, especially they use these things as jumping up for conversations, because, you know, once again, we're going to say talk off and talk frequently, but in this case, be proactive. Don't wait until it happens, but make it relevant to the kid, help them understand what pornography is why it's a problem at age appropriately, and then make that link to sexting because that's where they're most likely to get into trouble, you know, early on, right? In other words, I'm not worried about an eight-year-old becoming a pornography addict, but I, you know, you might be concerned about an eight, 10-year-old getting talked into sexting. So they need to be prepared for those kinds of activities. Exactly. And I would just underscore what you both said, don't have one conversation, have millions of conversations you know, revisit this topic age appropriately. And then this is a really great recommendation. I actually found this on an article that's in Psychology Today by this about this topic. Um, organize your friends and colleagues to lobby policymakers to introduce age verification legislation so minors can no longer have easy access to porn sites. I think that's a good one. I love that idea. So, And, and you can I, also set your browsers to filter. Yeah. You, I think you mentioned that, Diana, at, at some point, and that's, you know, you can get involved without con- parental controls like everything by just establishing some standards that are like spam blockers for porn. Exactly. All right, Aries, are there any last minute questions that we need to address? No, I, I would just say that anyone who's here is obviously educating themselves, which I think yeah. is the biggest piece. If you know these facts, then you can come with something to share with your kids. So I think that's just such a huge thing that you're all here and participating in this yeah. conversation. Thank you so much for making time for this important topic. We really appreciate it. And hopefully the news will spread beyond our little group right here. So thank you, 
to the three of you. And I want to say that our next Cyberwise chat will be about clickbait uh, and online misinformation. We have a clickbait headline, which I need to find here. Oh my God, I won't <laughs> believe what kids are clicking on. Uh, parent, what parents need to know about clickbait and misinformation. So that one, we're actually going to do it the second Tuesday, which is September 14th at noon. We, we're going to miss Rosh Hashanah and do it the second week of September. So that will also be on our Cyberwise uh, site where we keep all the chat information. Uh, I thank you for attending. You'll be getting an email from us tomorrow with this link. So really appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Tough topic. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, all. Have a great week. You too. You too.